Hi, and thank you for tuning to the Faisal podcast. I'm safe in this episode to talk with one of the best European grapplers, the Minister of Hugh Hugh Christian Popov. Chris is BJ Black Belt under Bernardo Serini, three times Nagi European champion, eight times Rio Grappling Challenge champion, two times Eastway European champion, world champion for Eastway for 2017, eight times Bulgarian ADC champion, three times Romanian ADC gold medalist, three times Bulgarian Grappling League champion, King of the Beach elite division for 2016, Eastern European BJ Federation, two times European champion, Naga Germany Nogi elite champion, and Naga Germany black belt heavyweight champion as well. Uh, he has uh, a MMA fight as well that he won with submission of course, increases training and coaching one of the best gyms in Bulgaria Pitbulls freestyle fighting. You can find the link in the description and you can follow him on Instagram at Popov Pitbulls. I'm very good friend with Chris Coach Emil Kazakov and with Chris as well. And as you will see, we could talk for ages. I enjoyed this episode a lot. I hope you also enjoy and learn from this episode as much as you did. Why do we fight? To protect home and family. To preserve balance and bring harmony. For our kind. The true question is, what is worth fighting for? The Fight Is All podcast. Okay, should be on now. Okay. Okay, first of all, thank you for taking the time. You're busy, you have a very cool guest. We already okay. start talking. Uh, before forget, tell tell the story that I was, was going about, and then uh, I ask you the other the other stuff. Yeah. So the story was we started uh, talking about cutting weight, and uh, one year we, me and Veselin Dukov, he's another Bulgarian grappler, distinguished. We went to Nagar, Germany. So, but both of us were much heavier than. The category so we were dropping all week uh, i was going to work not eating salads only and i was almost there like one kilo above <clears throat> and we went in naga at the tournament you have the option to weigh in the previous day if you want so of course when you're dropping it's much better to weigh in as you know the day before so we went there a few hours before the weigh-in, we landed, went to the hotel, registered, and said, let's go to Lidl to buy something uh, for after the, the weigh-in. And we had like three hours or four hours. And But I bought, uh, he went outside with his bag of, with groceries, and I bought some more things, and I saw him eating outside and drinking coffee, orange juice. And I said, man, I cannot take it. And I started eating as much as I could. <laughs> so, and we ate so much, we were so full. We came back to the hotel, we had a scale with us. So the category was 80, 80 kilos. I was 83 and a half Ooh. and he was uh, 74 and the, the category was 71, so. It was a very funny. We had, thank God, we have a we had a diuretic pill, diuretic pills with us, so we drank 
three each, each one three, and the dosage is one maximum one we <laughs> so we dropped the weight but we were dead after that i guess it was it was yeah. a bit shake shaky for so much diuretics otherwise we had to wait till the next day to starve one more night to go to the scale again yeah in combat some day at least when i was keeping there was a warning along the same so you can you can uh, take the weight the previous night or, or the, the, the evening before the comp. And uh, because I normally, I normally was competing 71, 72 at that time. So, but combo sum categories was 75 and 68. So I was too wide to set 75. And uh, because, you know, like at that time I was mostly striking. So like I didn't want to grapple with much heavier guys. I was cutting for 68, which is, which is quite hard cut for me. And the worst one was my first world championship in Praga, because he was traveling with. Uh, it was me, uh, uh, Iliana, Kamen, one of the referees, the new, with my car, and I was not eating the the last week pretty much nothing, you know, just one ice cube a day, just you know, just to, to have some in my mouth. Yeah. And coming heavyweight, he was like eating everywhere, like you know, take everything, take everything. So, <laughs> long story short, we we went we go on the scale, and uh, I'm one kill over, and I'm I'm literally dying. I was like fading, you know, like uh, you know everything was blurry, like Just my mind. Your arm. Pretty much, yeah. And then uh, a national coach was Saladinov at that time. He said, okay, just go on a, on a stationary bike. It was it was big gym where the the, the scale was scale was. And uh, there has this stationary bike, and I like dress all the all the coats of the of the of the bigger guys in the team just to sweat. And I'm you know like I'm pushing the bike, but I have no sweat, I have no water in me. And uh, I I don't know what's the reason, but when I'm cutting weight, my gums start bleeding, my teeth start bleeding, and I'm spitting blood from my teeth. I cut it, and uh, I think that was the first world championship. Uh, my wife came with me; was not married at that time, and I only remember. So I'm like pretty much sleeping over the bike, trying not to sweat with all these coats and speeding butt. And uh, so the office is hugging my my future wife. He said, "Oh, don't worry, don't worry. We're all crazy. He's not the only one." <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> I got away, but I was smashed. Good thing I have like. Uh, like 12 hours to recover i was like fuck. yeah cutting weight is definitely one of the most difficult things in about competing and fighting in grappling is in jiu-jitsu you know weight of course is important but not as much in, as mma of course mma weight is a much bigger factor uh, so it's very important if you're not a very a good professional it's I had a, I had a guy who was guest guest on the podcast as well. Uh, he's working here with uh, with professional and amateur fighters. He's very good. He's a very young guy, but uh, he graduated. Uh, I think he's doing PhD in uh, in dietology and he's working with fighters. Very good. Uh, and uh, he he has very good results with, with this. Uh, his uh, page is uh, the fight edition. I was sending sent to. He's, he he gives a lot of very very good tips for for cutting cutting weight even stuff that you know like you know many stuff 
uh, you know, like from from practicing campaigning, but he's uh, putting them in very systemized way. So sometimes Most you say, oh, okay, it, it is because of that. So you know some tricks and stuff, but it is because of that. And also, like, uh, when I talk with him, so what they normally do, especially on high-level UFC and stuff, uh, with uh, cutting weight, it depends very much from your game plan. So, for example, if your game plan is more wrestling-based, then uh, cutting all of weight makes sense because you you, you use weight. If you're more like uh, your game plan is more striking based, then cutting too much weight is going to slow you down. So like it's not always the best idea. So it really not yes. only depends from the person itself, it depends very much from uh, what you are thinking to do in, in the fight itself from the game plan. But it's, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a factor. Like, it, it's... Yeah, of course, it makes sense. Uh, never thought about that. But uh, yeah, well, uh, he, he told me that, and I always been big cutter, you know, like both in my uh, kickboxing and like uh, in in grappling time, like I was always cutting weight. I just, I just, uh, you know, associate, you know, competing with cutting weight. If I don't cut weight, I don't feel like, you know, like I cannot get in competition mode. I you're need to be hungry. You don't feel like yeah, I, I feel like I'm doing nothing, you know, just like oh, I'm still sleeping. I need to be a bit hungry, you know, to to compete. Even my my last days when I was doing just grappling. Even I was just getting in whatever weight cut. I, I still like I purposely get a bit hungry because it's very hard for me to get in a competition mood in grappling. It's just not so dangerous, yeah. and I need to you not know, make something to make it. You know, like <laughs> to to go hungry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and how how did you start uh, with uh, the combat with combat sports? I know from Emil most of the information I have is uh, you know kickboxing, combat sambo, well, then MMA. Well, I- well, I was doing I was doing kickboxing. I was very passionate about kickboxing, and I was competing kickboxing hardly. And but the thing is, uh, with with kickboxing, you know, like when you train twice a day, you normally run in the morning, which I was sick of it because it's very boring. And uh, there was a there was a some section in uh, 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 academic sta- stadium when I was training kickboxing, and. Uh, I kind of, you know, started, you know, to, to go there, you know, just to roll instead to run just because of more fun. I d- never had, like, any ambitions about grappling. It was just fun. But, you know, when you start to grapple, it becomes very interesting. And I would yeah. get hooked because it's, it was very different, you know. It was interesting, you know, like a lot of leverage and stuff. And I'm an engineer and I like this stuff, geometry and, you know, like physics. While, well, like, kickboxing is very uh, fast-based. Game and I just I was just like going there to enjoy, right? And then uh, they was going to organize the first uh, combat sambo European Championship in Bulgaria in Pravets. And uh, they they came and told me I was already in the national team in kickboxing, and and they come and came and told me, oh, no one wants to uh, uh, to fight in '68 because at that time you know the, the the sambo guys didn't want to get punched, so they had hard time you know to feel the national team. And they told me, oh, you can strike, uh, you can grapple a bit. Do you want to get in, in the in the national team? And I, as a story, I was already in the national team in, in kickboxing. I say, like, what's the worst that will happen, right? Like, uh, someone's going to, like, uh, submit me, I'm going to tap. But these guys yeah, of course. will not outstrike me. So, like, I, I that, that you know, like, when, when you're active competitor, you think you're invincible. And I thought, like, no one's going to knock yes. me out. So I was just going to strike and, and that's it. But the thing is, 
it was funny when I start training. Then uh, for first time I start uh, thinking about grappling seriously, you know. And then I find out that I actually don't nothing. And I say, oh shit, you know, <laughs> the things are getting serious. That's European Championship. And I like I'm, I was grappling just for fun up to now. And uh, I was still like uh, I was still not good in grappling. I was getting pumped from uh, from grappling sessions. I was like feeling like lifting weights because I didn't know when to relax and. And uh, even the last two weeks, I start running away from the from the, from the national team train because we were training together. And just was going with my kickboxing coach just to do striking because they like, fuck all, all grappling, you know, like that's that's killing me. You know, I need you know, to I just want to strike. But the thing is, uh, the first match I got was when uh, Latvian guy I dropped him with uh, with cross, and he fall in turtle. And uh, when we were training, when they were showing me technique, I said, oh, that's too complex, show me only one thing. I only want to train one thing, because too much information, I cannot go over it. Yeah. And they were only showing me rear naked choke. And huh. that, that was simple enough for me, and I was only doing rear naked choke. I was grabbing someone from the from the newbies in the gym, when they, they were training, you know, like takedowns and stuff, I was like, ah, I don't do that. And I was just training how to do rear naked choke. So, like, I was... My first match was this Latvian guy, I dropped him with cross and he fell in turtle. And I saw back and I was like, grab the back and I was like, I'm not letting you go for nothing. I was squeezing the shit out of him and got, got submission with first fight in my ever fucking <laughs> <laughs> got submission with And uh, I even have a picture of I'm running on the mat and I say, I know one, I did one. <laughs> you know, I only yes. know this move. <laughs> yes, and, uh, sometimes before a competition, that's a good strategy to learn on your, only a few things. Well, I, I, I was not... I was just too stupid to understand everything else. That that was the truth. I, this was simple enough, and I was able to understand it, and that's it. But I didn't have, you know, still technique how to get the back. And I know, like, I see the back, you know, get the hooks, get a hand, you squeeze. That was the only one thing I was yeah. hand. So that's how I get. But the thing is, uh, I kind of, you know, like, because I was doing grappling for fun, and like, I kind of, you know, was catching it. Uh, I did very good final. On this, on the European Championship, I become second. I fought with the Russian on, on the end, and uh, he was very good grappler, by the way. But I was able you know, to stay with him, stay away from him with my striking for 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 a while. And uh, we fought on the ground, grind pound him a bit. He got me an armbar at the end, and uh, and submit me. But it was a good fight. So then the coach said, "Oh, you actually has some kind of, uh, you know, you have a good feeling for the game. You have to train more serious." And that was my first. Ever competition involving grappling, so that's then I started you know, training more seriously grappling, and you know in in Bulgaria you do sambo combat sambo and you start doing MMA as well. So that's that's how I actually started. Yeah, it's interconnected combat sambo and MMA. I mean, yeah, and then uh, then I, I uh, with we we met with Emil in in uh, Gladiator's gym, and uh, then he was coming. He was actually coming to help me before this competition. That's how we we become closer than than the other guys because he was. I was okay, bro. Like come come help me because I have no idea how to do this stuff. And he was coming in my yeah. gym and he was helping. And it's funny, like we are rolling with Emil and my coach uh, Marini is like watching, say, uh, stand up and fight like man. What are you doing on the ground? Like what's this shit? <laughs> <laughs> No. Okay, let's talk about uh, your story in, in, in combo sports. Like, uh, uh, I, I know very well I was following you since, you know, like, since you came on the stage. You have a very interesting story, like, um, uh, and uh, I, and uh, how you, actually, you're probably one of, 
one of the, the very few like very high level grapplers in Bulgaria. He won uh, Naga I think five times. Naga Europe. So yeah. yeah, can you just go with with your story because this is supposed to be about you, but we know each other very well, so we yeah. in a random conversation. Well, uh, you know, as as a kid, uh, I had trained uh, karate, of course. All of us, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme was very popular. Everybody was training karate. Then uh, I trained a little boxing as a teenager, and then I was uh, just beginning to study at university, and I wanted to do something, uh, something new. And I found out about uh, Pitbull's gym in uh, in Sofia, and when there started started to I saw the ground game. I, I had seen, of course, Pride. Pride was uh, uh, popular. It had already, I think, it uh, it ended. I think Pride in 2007. But of course, videos were ongoing, popular in, on YouTube. Fedor, Krokop, Nogueira. So I knew the ground game, but I I didn't like it. I said I, I'm going to do only striking and try to avoid the ground. Of course. Stupid thinking. Oh, you was you was guy who was trying to do strike. I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, I knew a little bit in comparison to the ground, I, where I knew nothing. So I started training a few months, and I was also visiting. Uh, there, there was a Vipring club, a Muay Thai club. So I was going oh, twice, twice a week or three times a week there, and then. I started going to Emil's gym and I liked MMA more and I dropped out of uh, Muay Thai. I started doing only um, only MMA and then the gym was new, all the guys were new. I was one of the first guys there and we became a very, uh, there was a bond between the, the first guy, you know, Pavel, Yurgiev, yeah. uh, Vlade Kanchev and many other guys. And one, my first tournament, I did grappling. And I still liked more striking, but I was beginning to see that I, I'm, you could say, talented for grappling. Because in three months training, I fought a guy with three years experience, and the match was almost a draw. He won in overtime. So it was a draw, and overtime till... You know, a sudden death. So and well, that was that was very to... interesting torments in that day. Like uh, people uh, here, like uh, not, not familiar with this one. You know, uh, uh, that, I I think you're speaking about like these uh, grappling challenges. Uh, yeah, the Bukido challenge. Yeah, it was very interesting rules. Like it was very long round, and uh, if there is no submission, uh, it goes for sudden sudden death, which is the first point. Someone of the countries can score. It was like 10 minutes round or something. Like how how was it? Yeah, it was 10 minutes. And the tournament where I went, the first one was so the first round is grappling. If you win, if you uh, move on to the next round, uh, the second round is kickboxing. And if uh, you win, the last fight is MMA, amateur MMA, of course. But I, of course, I lost in the first round, so I didn't go there. But uh, so after that, of course, uh, started training more on the ground, started liking it. 
and you know i was getting leg locked a lot and i started to study how to defend leg locks well i was about to how... ask you this one because uh, uh since i i know you from the start uh i was always thinking about you mostly as a self-taught because uh, no one was playing this style that you play before you so you you pretty much like yeah i know you were training with the mew and in 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 pitbulls but you kind of invented and worked this style a legwork style by yourself so i'm i'm quite i like all the time you know like i w wanted to ask how you actually did that which apparently was was successful up to these days because you started you know to explore the style pretty much by yourself and uh, your game actually influenced the game of, of the other guys from Pitbulls because uh, you heavily uh, dig into the Lego game and then bring it into into the stage. And uh, till present days, you're pretty much, you know, like you're heading the Lego game back home. Yeah, so um, I remember uh, I had one conversation with Emil and he said, of course, he was showing leg locks, heel hooks, you know, the outside heel hook, reverse heel hook, uh, the positions. We we didn't know the names like Danaher is showing now, uh, inside Sankaku, but we knew... Yeah, he's using the, how... the Japanese terminology, which is kind of annoying. They already have like yes. four names, but whatever. We Back then, we didn't know that it's possible to have so many options and so many scenarios where you can develop, you know, different attacks. But uh, we knew how to entangle the legs, you know, we knew which positions. We had basic attacks from there. So he showed me, of course, the basic things. And he said one thing, leg locks are a very powerful weapon. And, you know, it's not very used in Jiu-Jitsu. And Kirill Alexiev, who was the head coach of Gladiator's gym, he was also doing a lot of leg locks, showing like uh, different variations, but you know, it was not very, as you said, he was not very digging a lot into it. So I started do downloading as much as I could find on the internet uh, for le regarding leg locks um, and started studying back in those days. The most famous leg locker was uh, Gokur, Gokur Chivichia. Yeah, Gokur. So course I uh, had his DVD and started studying uh, but uh, we didn't have smartphones maybe iPhone 2 or 3 but I didn't have so I was watching it on my computer and trying to remember the move probably two moves a day and I went to the gym and started trying drilling the move and that's how I realized at one point that I was rolling with some of the famous guys in, in Bulgaria, MMA guys, and I was leg locking them with one year of training and submitting them. And I realized if I have good uh, guard, let's say difficult to pass and good submission defense, because if basically they cannot pass my guard, they cannot, the only option they have is to go for a leg lock. And that's my game. Basically, so that's how I started to develop. Of course, with time, I realized that I have to uh, develop all of my skills in all areas, like guard passing. Well, speaking uh, about this this guard game and uh, uh, forcing the guys to play, there is this uh, memes going around you. 
surviving of one match, leg walking at the end. <laughs> yeah, I remember this sometimes. was going around. Someone made it for you, but yeah, I was I was laughing because it's like you often do that. You just you just hold there, hold there, hold there. You take a chance and submit it to someone in the last second. <laughs> it was very funny. Yeah, in my first uh, Naga uh, win, the belt, the first belt I got. In the final, I was fighting a guy from Spain. He he was a two-time FILA world champion, which FILA, of course, is not like ADC world champion, but st- it's still a good level grappling. Well, FILA was uh, all right. They kind of put put grappling a bit behind now, but uh, in the beginning, because uh, with, with the other wrestling styles, they, they had like really good competition. I, I don't know if they're still doing the FILA grappling or like they stopped dealing about grappling. But now they it's were... called UWW. UWW. Oh, they, they changed United the name now. It's yeah. not called FILA anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Probably that's why they disappeared from, from my view. Because I know they were thinking about grappling, but. Bulgaria, nobody, yeah, nobody fights FILA because the license is uh, very expensive. It's like $2,000 per year, I think. And nobody's oh. willing to pay. Oh, that's too and much for us. Probably in the future, I have plans to, uh, let's see, probably pay it and we'll do some trials for a national team and the best guys, the best guys will, but still we have to find some funding. And the guy I was telling you is a Spanish grappler. He, he was known as the best uh, student of Claudio Calasanz, a famous Brazilian a grappler who won ADCC absolute division, I think, in, in 2015. And the guy in the final, he was actually with my friend Daniel, who's here with me. He's also Spanish. They were in the same hotel room. And the night before, Daniel told him, be careful with uh, Christian. He has good leg locks, good heel hooks. And he said, I don't care, man. I'm going to heel hook him. So... <laughs> And he's a, you know, IBGJF style uh, grappler. It's not used to leg locks. But I started the fight and he, from the beginning, managed to get on my back and was controlling me very well. And I couldn't escape because if I tried to escape, he was, you know, uh, threatening with the submission. So I had to stay there. And five, I think five seconds before the fight ended, I was losing 3-0. I managed to escape, and he was already gassed out from holding the back for so long. And I managed to get uh, the heel hook. And it was, you know, the meme comes from there, surviving the whole time. And then, and a few other fights, I managed to win like that. From the back escaping and finishing with the heel hook. <laughs> you know, it's, I have good back defense, but sometimes it's... Uh, I don't know, I just let guys get on my back too easily and then have to I'm running behind on the scoreboard I have to go back into the fight sometimes <laughs> I, I've lost I've lost a few fights like that it's a bad habit definitely I have to fix that yeah well and uh, yeah, I, uh, with uh, of course uh, when I was training, Emil was helping me, of course, with whatever he could to develop my game, motivating me. He said, yeah, you have to continue with this. This is a very good decision that you've taken to 
developed more into grappling and jujitsu, but we were doing only nogi. And then one of the kids that was coming uh, to his gym, Veselin Bukov, now he's a good grappler, of course. He started, He was living in the same area as me, so we were traveling with the public transport to and from the gym. And I started taking him to a local gym in our area to train uh, on Saturday, Sunday, when there was no training in, in Emil's gym, no classes. And that's how he started to learn, because I was trying my moves on him. He was like an apprentice, something like that, you know. And in, over time, he became also very good. But he was also very talented, of course. He's a very, very good guy. Very good. Yeah. And that's how, of course, we started helping each other. Then more guys uh, in the, the gym started to, of course, uh, advance more into the game. And we reached at one point, we had a, a very good level, our gym. I think in 2015, it was almost 60, 70 guys in the gym. And we had like 25 competitors, like very good level. MMA guys mostly, but you could also train with them on the ground. They were like uh, very complete fighters. Vladislav Kunchev, Daniel Wiliev, Pavel Gurgiev, Teodor Nikov, Veselin Vladiganov. You know, a lot of people. Yeah, those were good times. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is still like he's uh, he's doing his own thing now, which which is which is normal, normal evolution of you know when yeah. when normal people evolution. people grow up, they 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 kind of you know like leave the nest and then they they try to do their own, and sometimes they come back, sometimes they're successful. It it's normal. That that that's a good thing that develops the sport. Uh, you also teaching a lot now, uh, so. Uh, can you open as much as you want? Of course, you know, a bit the door and uh, how you uh, how you uh, 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 proceeding towards you know teaching someone the moves. You know, do you systemize? Uh, do you drill? Uh, there was uh, recently this discussion uh, about drilling and no drilling. Uh, so do you do you drill or do you prefer you know to get uh, more about explanation to get understanding for people to make? How you make people to to remember things because it's it's very different. Uh, like I find this uh, as a coach myself, it's it's different than knowing a technique and being able to teach someone else the the things that you know. Because uh, as you know, and you you you're a very successful coach as well. But as you know, there are many people who are very good athletes, but they fail in the coaching because they fail into explain what they know to the other people how you do that and what what techniques you use particularly when when you are when you're teaching as teaching techniques yeah, yeah so um, of course in the beginning uh, i was very inexperienced when i started coaching because it came as a surprise emil was supposed to teach at the gym and he told me that he wasn't interested but they still needed someone to teach there so I started going and over time a small group formed then I moved to the place I am now and but I didn't have any system I only wanted to train for myself for doing the moves that I want to do not because when I go for example and there's only beginners I cannot do the things that I would like to do 
course, I have to show them basic things. And I think drilling and no drilling for, for every person is different. Some people have to drill more because they cannot remember so easily. Some people, of course, maybe they do it a few times and they already know it and they can start doing it in, in, uh, in real sparring. So I think it's, uh, of course, some moves, of course, there are moves that uh, are more easily understandable. So it's not necessary to drill them too many times. And other moves which are more complex, it's probably better to drill them more. But not like they say 200, 300 times. I think it's too much. Of course, you have to take in mind uh, the audience that you have, the students, if they're professional or not. Because if the guy comes three times a week and uh, for one hour, you cannot uh, expect him to do like three hours of hard training like in Atos. So you have to um, develop your system in such a way that he's able to get as much as, as he can for a short time, if you understand what I mean. Because, for example, if you're free the whole day, you can train four, five hours. You can drill a lot, but if you have only one hour available a day, you have to find a way to explain and to show your material in such a way that the people can gain more from a shorter period of time. So in that sense, probably explaining more is uh, better, I think, because you come for one hour, you cannot drill like the whole time, you know, well, you have to roll. I, in this, in this, uh, in this topic, I found uh, very useful if you have uh, seen, uh, so uh, this, uh, these uh, the three warning styles that people have uh, so some people uh, warn uh, uh, better by seeing stuff some people warn better by uh, listening to stuff remembering words and some people were warn better like uh, by doing stuff themselves so uh, when i when i read some it's, it's pretty much a psychology stuff but uh, it actually helps uh, when uh, when when you read about the uh, basic communication styles, most people are normally have one uh, dominant communication style for for themselves, and then they have a, the the second one is kind of supportive. But there's some people who are extreme who lean heavily to uh, to one of the the warning styles, and uh, it it for me it helps uh, when you when you're working with someone. When you identify the warning style that he is leaning to, and then you know, oh, this guy warns better by doing stuff. So I I don't lose much uh, uh, much time explaining. I show the stuff and let him do it, and then correct him by doing. That's the the, the people who won by doing stuff. So some people don't need you know the explanation, so they need to listen. You know, you tell them you do that because of that. Then they understand they they can do. And there are some people who won better just looking at stuff they remember stuff by looking so they're normally people who remember by reading so they they need to see the technique and able to to, to do it so like so and normally when it's a, it when it's a class i trying to combine so i i show show technique while explaining it but don't take too much i don't take too much time of it and then let them do it and then i'm trying not to correct them while they, they do it 
So like this, I kind of cover when it's a mix, mix class, of course, I, I kind of cover the all three warning stuff. That person helps me a lot, and um, if you haven't dig into it, I think that's that's very very useful when when you're teaching. It helps helps to work with the people. And when you start thinking in that way, when you someone comes to to work with you, and uh, you know you take uh, like one two trains to see which warning style he's actually following to. And it's easy to work with these people. You know, okay, these guys like visual warning style, these guys audio warning style, these guys like, you know, touch and do warning style. And it helps. Uh, and uh, I had a student back in Bulgaria, uh, Peter, you know him, he fought recently. Mm. And uh, I had problem with him because uh, uh, he was doing stuff that I have never shown him. He was doing very well. But he was not uh, hearing me from the corner. Just like, you know, like uh, I'm yelling, whatever, but he's not reacting the, the way I'm saying. Compared with the other side, I wasn't able to do I was speaking with my other coaches, my old coaches, you know, what to find with him, what to do with him. Because he was doing very good, but he was just not here in the corner. And uh, then uh, I, I had a good job then, uh, and I hired a sports psychologist uh, back in Bulgaria to work with the team, you know, paid a couple of sessions. And uh, she she actually told me what I know. She's very good, by the way. Uh, and uh, she actually told me, oh, this guy is uh, touch and do warning style. He just don't comprehend talking to him and uh, uh, seeing stuff. In order to to um, to comprehend stuff, you need to have a contact with him. And she told me, okay, when you're in the, it doesn't make sense for him to yell him from the corner. When he comes back between the rounds, you have to touch him and talk to him. And then he starts to understand you. Oh. And he starts working, you know, like he, like that's that's the only way I can control him. You need to touch him to have physical contact with him, and to speak with him, and that's how you know he start actually doing the stuff that I was I was trying to tell him. Like yelling on him, it doesn't work. Now it's he he grow up now, of course, and you know, like he 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 developed the other warning styles as well. But as a kid, that was the only way you can you can put something something in his head. Like he just not comprehending walking, and, and training was the same. You while you're explaining technique and showing, he doesn't get nothing, nothing is here. He just have to start doing stuff. So like, and then after this, I learned about actually the the warning styles, and it actually helps you a lot with teaching. There are some people who like very heavily like him fall into one category, and you know they just don't have the other tools to to learn. That's that's how they they their brain works. Very interesting. Yeah, that's definitely. I didn't know that, but. Uh... It was logical for me. I I had some students. Uh, I still have some guys that come. For example, they come very late every day. And I had one guy. He's a steel worker. He's very powerful physically. He works every day, steel construction and stuff. So he, when he comes, he always he he's always looking at some stuff on the internet. So he comes like half an hour before we end, only for the rolling because he's he's been working. So, of course, I never, uh, I let him try what he wants, but try to, of course, correct him in some some things. But, um, of course, he, the things he's doing, he sees them on the internet, they're working for him. Of course, I let him do them. I don't uh, forbid him doing uh, the things that he's good at. But I try to add things, of course. And... I have one other guy that he's the same as you said, Peter. For example, if I during a competition, if I say 
uh, go for a takedown, he never goes for a takedown. He will pull guard. But if I say pull guard, he will go for a takedown. You know, so, uh, he came to Naga with me two weeks ago. He fought also in the expert division. He first fight, um, he was fighting a guy from Denmark, a good uh, purple belt. And my student is a blue belt, but he's not training with the gi, so he's staying blue belt for a long time, I guess. And he was winning 5-0 in the beginning. And I said, try to keep the score. You know, don't go for submissions now. He's on the move. He has to make moves. You're winning. He took, uh, in the beginning, I don't know, he swept him, side control, 5-0. And the guy immediately went for a heel hook. <laughs> but it was a bad attack. He, he was not, uh, it was not well planned. So the guy managed to get on top mount, then the back, then oh. neon belly, and won 8-5, you know? Oh. If, I, if I had said go for a heel hook immediately, he probably would have defended the score. <laughs> so reverse psychology, I guess, is called. But I didn't think in that moment of that. So I said, no, it's not possible for the guy to be, you know, that uh, <laughs> stubborn. That well, stubborn. Yeah. He will listen yeah. to me. Yeah, there's some, some guys that they're trying to prove them to you. Like that they don't know better. And then purposely do whatever you tell them on the other side. They're guys like that. They're very annoying though. <laughs> As a coach, yeah, but it's difficult to work, but sometimes uh, that's the after all, a coach has to be a psychologist, in my opinion. Oh man, coach has to be like mother, father, brother, psychologist, dietitian, uh, anything you can imagine that people need. And sometimes you think you have covered all the bases, and they, there's someone who needs has some other needs that you have to work with, it's just like. Yeah, that's part of the... Some people, though, I think um, there are some coaches. I don't know personally, I've never seen it, but I'm hearing that, you know, they try to get, uh, for example, somebody comes, he's a 50-year-old man, and they um, try to explain how, how to live his life and give him life advices and, like, uh, influencing or some jujitsu coaches. I don't think that's a good idea either. So in in the realm of the game, of course, you have much more experience and expertise than the student. Of course, you will give him advice, but outside for his life, I think, if he's younger than you and if, he's, if he asks you, of course, but they try to intrude too much some people and it's annoying, I think. Well, there is this, uh, especially in Jiu-Jitsu, uh... And not only not in Jiu-Jitsu, but that's from, from the sport, okay, it comes more from these traditional martial arts. Like uh, this, the guru thing, when the, the coach is like, uh, knows everything and... and he's, yeah, he's, he's like and this that, great master. Yeah, like a great master, you know, it just... That, 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 that's, that's, that's big, that's big bullshit, that doesn't work like this. And yeah, that, that that's very annoying, and uh, and it's it's re- annoying because it's not realistic. You cannot like, you know, you, you cannot uh, know everything, and you even like wife advices. I, I normally try to stay away from from them if I'm not asking anything by my by opinion because the thing is, 
you really know all the all the stuff that happened around a search a certain you know like wife situation because yeah uh, the guy tells you oh this and this happened but he's telling his own version right you don't really know what happened that's that's his view on it you can only give what uh, your opinion what you think about over the things he tells you but sometimes he you know he twists the story in his favor and not sometimes quite often people twist the, the stories in whatever they they feel it's it's right so it's like you cannot really give like adequate advice on this one I, I i personally i i hate the guru stuff i think you everyone can can want something and from from someone and you know like i'm quite open so like yeah I, that that's very annoying though and uh, i i normally if if someone is like that i i i don't like to deal deal with with such coaches and i, I normally stay away from them myself yeah, especially in jiu-jitsu, I've, I'm seeing this a lot. Um, yeah, they try to I have a friend. He's also a coach, and he's trying to teach everybody. And the truth is, he's not qualified. You know, he's young. He's twenty-something years old, he, uh, and uh, teaching people how to live their lives and stuff. And I said, "Man, you probably you don't have a wife. You don't have a family." <laughs> Um, you haven't worked anything, so you don't know all those things that you're trying to tell people how to live their lives. He's telling me, man, you have to quit your job and you have to do only grappling. Working is bad. I said, yeah, but, you know, your family is supporting you. So it's easy to talk like that. You know? I wish yeah. I was you and living, but... Yeah, on the train. And... You know, so... It's, People sometimes uh, don't think a lot about other people. Um, look only from their window, and it's like that. And and how is your club in uh, in Australia developing? Uh, we're developing. Uh, when I came, uh, uh, so after 2016, before that, we was pretty much training in the garage. Uh, then 2016, I went for a year to work on a project in Asia. Uh, it was in Laos, uh, electric power plant. So I was able, you know, to save some money. And uh, then we opened a, opened a, a good gym, you know, a big one, 150 square meters of mats. Uh, we had a cage wall. It was alright, but the thing is, uh, it didn't went well. Uh, probably with wrong choice of neighborhood. There was not much people, uh, and. Uh, we was not able, you know, to uh, to to catch up with with clients and and paying the rent. So we had to we had to leave that the, that place. Uh, we was the gym, and but then we moved to. Uh, so here they have uh, uh, this uh, police citizens club, which is pretty much like uh, uh, it's like a public gym in almost every neighborhood. It's owned by police, but it's open for the public, and they try to develop all kinds of sports. And it's kind of like government oh, it's thing. It's open doors. Yeah. It's, it's open kind of, doors. Yeah, uh, you pay, but it's normally it's uh, it's it's small fee that people pay. So if you if you train commercial gym, you normally pay a bit more. So these gyms, uh, so for example, if you go to lift there, it's uh, it's probably not so much equipped. As, a, as like a, for example, World Gym and one of these bigger gym networks, but uh, it's cheaper. 
So it's more like uh, pushing sports to the public and uh, kind of, you know, to develop a healthy lifestyle to the public. So in these uh, gyms, uh, they always have like uh, boxing room. Boxing is very popular here. And I was happy that one of those ones, they have actually wrestling room. Uh, and uh, the thing is, uh, here in Australia, wrestling is not really popular. They have like one or two guys on training. Uh, and uh, the coach here in the, in the one that I'm working is, uh, he's a good coach. He was, uh, he's a Japanese guy. He was in Japanese uh, national team in the freestyle wrestling. Very cool guy, very knowledgeable, but just because uh, wrestling is not really popular and he doesn't have much clients. So I I got uh, some hours in, in this uh, in this room and I no I move moved the group from uh, from the gym that we was we was owning and we was not only we, we was on hire but we equipped and we have a lot of equipment. So I quit one of this room and we're working there and it is development and now it's getting better. Uh, no we have we have a few people and uh, they we start recently competing with them make up of champions this year. So yeah, slowly, slowly speaking up. Congrats. Starting now to, to, to be known around uh, because uh, in the first couple of years, you know, it, it's hard because, you know, you want to teach them, you know, advanced stuff, but you cannot because no one knows on that yeah, level. So you kind of hold back yourself and uh, you, you want to run them over the basics before you actually can do what you actually want with them. But now we're on that level that I can actually start teaching them more interesting stuff that I'm interesting myself as well. While like we are running with uh, with the newbies, you know, over the basic stuff. So now like there's a bit of bit of uh, you know uh, different levels that that are in the group. So that's good. Uh, one of the guys that actually you know we start training here with, uh, he's helping me. So you know like when you're running a, a place, you always need someone to help you because. You know, you balance so much yeah. stuff, you know, family, work. You cannot stuff. be, yeah, all the time there. Sometimes you cannot yeah. get on time just, or whatever. Yeah, you just cannot make it. Need, need sometimes someone to go and do the training because of you. Uh, so, like, he's he's helping with that, Amir, and he's doing good. Uh, he won a couple of grappling uh, championships. Uh, we have this, uh, I, I'm pretty sure you know it, uh, grappling industries competition here. Yeah. Uh, it, they they already quite have a few tournaments. They had yeah. a few tournaments in Europe as well. Mm. Yeah, they they was trying. Actually, I spoke with the guy uh, when he was trying to get in Europe, but could, couldn't do much for him. And uh, but the thing is, they're very good for developing uh, guys because uh, it, win or lose, you make like three, four fights, which is which is very good. So uh, Amir started, you know, competing there. He, I think he won it three times as a white belt. Uh, now uh, now uh, he's, he's blue belt, so he's, he's starting now to make his way there. He, made, he won uh, IMMF Queensland Open here. Uh, actually, we organized it, so now he's, he's, more, he's more looking towards MMA. And, you know, my, my general general idea is more i'm mostly working towards them i'm doing a uh, grappling is the grappling that they teach is mostly submitted towards the mma you know perspective which uh yeah. helps which helps me a bit because uh to be to be fair you know like grappling is so vast now like it's, it's a universe so and you have to decide how you want to develop if do you want to be like uh 
a high level grappler or do you want to be like uh, MMA guy? Because it makes difference. So if you want to be high level grappler, you have to learn complex grappling to deal into the to the advanced guards, uh, to develop a lot of uh, bottom game. Uh, well, if you have if you your idea is to compete in, in MMA, it, it's different perspective. You have to do a lot of wrestling. Uh, well, stand-ups, it's just, yeah, just yeah. a different perspective and uh, it's, it, now, what, it, back in the days, pretty much when we were starting. Back in the days, you were training with the Gi and fighting MMA. Yeah, now, yeah, like, now, now it's completely different, now, now it's very different, now, like, MMA is developed enough to be sport by itself, so you cannot really, you know, like, uh, do just Sambo and Judo and, and go in MMA and, and, and do well. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the world sport. And in the same, you cannot just, uh, you train MMA, you're doing good in MMA, but if you go in a grappling comp and people start to do, like, uh, like you know, like playing for the bottom uh, 50-50 or some of the advanced guards, they were even stuff. If you don't know them, you don't know what to do. So it's... Yeah. And it takes time. Yeah, time but to also those things game. are completely, almost completely incompatible with modern day MMA because. So that's the point. But if you want to be high level grab, we have to know them because uh, if yeah. you're in position, you don't know, you might not use it, but you have to know how to how to defend it. And it's like you have to choose. You have to choose. So uh, for me and for the things I know. Uh, I I will stay on MMA side because that's what I'm interested in to develop, and uh, that that helps me, you know, to uh, to bring me back on track when I go astray, you know. Like uh, I went a couple of interesting seminars recently. Uh, Imanari was here. I had a lot of fun because it's a very interesting game. Uh, so we had a bit fun of it, but I cannot teach that because <laughs> you know it's yeah, not. But it was very interesting. I had fun. The good thing is, like, when I don't compete now, I can have fun from time to time. But then uh, I was like, okay, so, but that's not what I'm doing. Back to my, <laughs> no, to, to, yeah, to the game of teaching. There's, yeah, there's so much, uh, you know, so much content on the internet uh, for grappling instructionals. There's so much things now. So many things came out. Uh, Danaher. Uh, Gordon Ryan, a few new DVDs, uh, you know, you name it, so many guys. I, I don't know where to begin to start watching because I have so many things and I don't have the time and everything is so interesting. But definitely the level now is like at least five times the amount it was uh, ten, five years ago or ten. The level oh. of the grapplers, the knowledge is, for example, I see my students, the things they know now, and I remember me, like, the for the same amount of time they've been training, I knew, like, less than half of, the, of what they know now. Because now, for example, it's easier you have many more coaches and more knowledgeable. Now they're lucky. Luckier than we were well, in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, information is now all there. Uh, the only thing that I uh, think it's it stays uh, a bit more hidden is how how actually to learn stuff. Because yeah, you can yeah. see a lot of stuff now. You can see everything. There is no hidden techniques. There is no. Uh, but how to learn something and to put it together to make a game? That what what is what is kind of you know like makes sense and. Uh, 
you need to have a certain understanding. So with all this information for I, my personal approach is uh, I have a basic curriculum for, for guys that I need them to learn before they actually start learning anything else. And then you can specialize. But you need to have like a basic game, basic understanding from every position to have like a couple of good moves so you know how to deal with that. And then if you want to specialize in any game, like uh, it's it's up to you. But the main thing for me is you need to have like a, a good understanding for major position, like uh, full mount, uh, full guard, top bottom, side mount, top bottom, or, uh, north, south, top bottom. Uh, of how course, a rough bottom. understanding. A rough yeah, understanding. Yeah. At least you might not do them all the time. That might not, not be your favorite game, but you need to have like uh, one or two good moves from every position, at least to know. Because if you find yourself there, just to know how to how to deal with that, how to react, how to go for it, at least a sweep, at least a submission, uh, or, or if you're on the top, at least one or two guard passes to, to get in, in, in the dominant position. And then once you have like this basic game developed, then you can uh, you can go and specialize in more complex moves. Uh, my my thing, the the general mistake that happens with uh, with grapplers who who start today with all this information is they catch too many too many techniques and they want to do that. And next week you want to do that. Yeah, next you yeah. want to do that, and that's a bit of a problem for them because it's fine for me. It's fine doing any technique that works for you, but if you don't have the basics. And you're trying a complex technique, and you and you get caught in in a position that you don't know how to react. Then trouble comes. I don't have problem with Sami doing Manari rolls if he's able to to get them. All good. If you're able to grab them, all good. But thing is, if you're doing Manari roll, but you you don't know how to defend side mount, and you're making a sloppy yeah. Manari roll, if someone just drop over you, and then you have to deal deal with simple side mount, you don't know how to deal with that. It's too early yeah, for you to to do Manari roll. Yeah, it's because so many there's so many content now and people, for example, white belts watching like John Danaher leg locks DVD, but they don't know how to do, for example, a scissor sweep or a mount simple mount escape, you know, an knee and elbow escape or just super simple stuff. It's like a house if you're building a house without a foundation, without a strong foundation, of course, it will fall. It's the same thing with uh, with grappling and with uh, combat sports. If you're learning like very advanced moves and you don't don't know the basics, like you said, it's not going to work. One um, one guy came to my gym a few months ago and wanted to roll with me, and we started rolling. He immediately, as you said, go, was going for Imanari rolls. Um, I saw that he doesn't know how to do normal takedowns. Only his only way to attack you is doing an imanari also. And I, I defended, get got to mount, and he didn't. Ha- he had no idea how to escape from mount. And I said, "You doing imanari roll against me, and but you don't know how to escape the mount. No idea what to do from there. Just bridging, bridging, bridging. <laughs> so, but you know imanari roll." Just yeah. makes no sense, bro. That's what happens if you train without a coach, and you train on your own. Sometimes uh, not everyone has the 
the vision how to develop their game. Uh, sometimes I back a few years ago back I was uh, doing this thing I saw Eric Paulson was explaining on one of his DVDs. Uh, it's called the DVD is called Game Development. So he says you de you uh, divide your game in different different areas. Let's say guard passing, sweeps, side control escape. Escapes, mount escapes, leg locks, attacks from the back, arm bars. And you, you have to be honest with yourself, of course, and said, let's see, for example, my, my guard passing is, uh, let's say, a purple belt or a blue belt. My uh, back attacks are my level, your general level, you might have won many competitions, but with one move. And your back attacks are like white belt level. But of course, you have to be honest with yourself. And you know, fighters um, have like uh, most of them a big ego. It's normal. They're strong men, most of them. So sometimes they're not very honest with themselves. They think that everything is very good. They don't need to learn. Let's do more sparring. Uh, now. Nah, I don't feel like doing technique. Let, let's roll more. And I think this game development thing is, is very good. It definitely helped me a lot because I was, of course, winning a lot of tournaments. But sometimes I was losing like with uh, stupid things. Somebody passes my guard. It takes me a lot of time to escape. And then I don't have time to get back into the match. So, of course, guard passing, guard retention, developing a lot, putting my... And, of course, when training, a lot of guys are like... Um, in training, you probably, of course, you know, fighting like in a competition. For example, never let uh, somebody pass your guard. Never let... And, when you're training like that, in a competition, somebody passes your guard. You know, of course, what to do uh, on theory, but in practice, you cannot do it under pressure. So these are all different ways, I think, to for a coach to try with a, a pupil to show him. I don't know what's your take on that, but... Well... I know by myself, uh, especially when you're competing, and if you train by yourself, you do the things that you like. But when you train with a coach, you do the things that you need. So the thing is, it's very hard for a competitive fighter uh, to have realistic view what uh, what he needs to do, and uh, sometimes. I, I always appreciate, I have good coaches though, but uh, sometimes when the coaches are telling you some stuff, they're normally, they look boring and you don't want to, you don't want to do them, but normally the things that you don't want to do is the things that you actually need in your game. And uh, a coach by looking from side has better view than for you because, ah, I'm going to do that. Oh, I'm going to sprawl the takedowns and stuff. But it, it's not really the case, you know, it just, you just sometimes mm -hmm. have to learn stuff. So I think it's, it's very important to have a good coach and the coach who have been competing 
uh, I don't really believe uh, in in coaching without without being there, without being competing, because I I don't think uh, people who haven't been competing realize, uh, uh, as you said, when you have to perform under pressure, it's absolutely different. It's one thing stuff you do in the gym, uh, you might do very good. You can you know just do fancy stuff, but it's another thing when you when you have to you know to deal with someone on your own level. Who is actually trying to defeat you? It's it's not the same. So you need that that to understand how you work under pressure, and how you teach the people by and you know this only by yourself. How you can make them practice stuff on training in a way that they can remember they do them when they're under pressure in competition. And I think you learn that only by competing yourself. I don't think you can you can learn that. I. I, I I admit that there are coaches who make exception who are not great in competition who are like making good coaches, but they're more like exception of the rule than uh, rule by itself. I think a good coach should compete at least a bit and at least in grappling just to know how to deal un- under pressure. It's it's very different than than training. You can train, you know, there are people who are training like ten and and so years. But uh, they cannot compare to uh, competitive guys. You know, com- while competing, you learn more. Just because you have to perform under pressure, you have to perform people on your level who are actually really trying to beat you, and you give importance to that. Because as you know, in training, yeah, someone might catch you and you say, oh, that was not, not, not my day, and you don't really care. But in competition, you give yeah. importance to that, and that makes, you, makes your brain to push and... Uh, uh, our brain is a very strange thing. It only remembers things that it gives importance. It might happen like hundreds of times in the gym, same situation, but you don't pay attention to it just because it's just just another training. And as you know, like or or like uh, that's why I, for the same reason I like my guys, you know, to go seminars or go to train with other people, because very often it happens to me. I'm telling to someone, do this, do this, do this, do this. Do this every and train. Somebody else tells him, and he. Someone tells him, and he, he comes to me and say, "Coach, listen, I went to this guy. He told me, do that." I said, "Yes, <laughs> he told you. <laughs> he they, they just get get used with you, and they don't don't hear your voice. They don't. There's other coaches like uh, whinging again about something, and they just switch off. But there's someone else who is completely out of their their, their, their you know their, their circle." Tells them the same thing you're trying to get in their head for months, they remembered it. That's how the people work. <laughs> just like very yeah, strange. that's how, just how the human brain works. It's the same with, uh, you know, with your close ones and with your loved ones. Sometimes you giving, somebody's giving you advice, you don't pay attention. Somebody, an outsider tells them the same thing. The same thing. Yeah, that's really good advice right there. Same, same. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's how we work. And... Uh, the thing is, uh, as a coach, you you cannot expect ideal situations. You just have to adjust with with the people. You just have to take them the way they are and uh, try to make them better from uh, where they're starting for this. That that's how you you work. Uh, everyone wants to have like super talented students uh, who only care about training and uh, come every day. They don't get injured. And they don't have fears and stuff, but that's not the case. Everyone has uh, fears, have to deal with injuries, families, other problems. 
So you have to to try to make them better, like uh, the way they are. And not everyone are like super talented. Some people just a bit, they have a bit slower start, or just have other interests, uh, and the, the sport is not the most important for for them. And, and that's fine. That's fine. Not everyone can be world champion. <laughs> it, yeah, it's some people just come to socialize, but uh, I and I understand that many people just come to socialize, be in a environment with other men you know tell jokes and stuff but even so i try to give them um, as much as i can it uh, i understand they're not going to compete and stuff but it's better to do something than doing nothing only you know joking around and things oh yeah absolutely i always uh, my my theory about that was always you know you trying to make them better version of themselves and then they decide yeah. what to do with it. But uh, as a coach, you know, if someone is trying, is coming just once a week, you still try to teach him to do your best, yeah, uh, best abilities. Yeah. At least something, you know. At least the stuff that he knows are correct and they're, they're, they're done right. That, that's the only thing you can do. And that's yeah. fine, you know that. Yeah, I have guys like uh, that that come only once a week or twice a weekend. You know, they have difficulties with the moves. Um, but I said, listen, try to do it as, as good as you can. And it's like uh, I see someone doing a technique. Uh, before I was like, we drill it as so many times until he gets it right. And then I realized that he cannot do it, do it as well as I'm doing it for one hour. So at least roughly learn it roughly and then maybe um, it will develop in his brain this thought maybe next month when we come to the same technique he will do it better probably remembers it again and that's i realized that that's it's a better way to teach students than to just drill the same thing for two hours until he gets it per he does it perfectly which is never going to happen in two hours. I've been doing it for a few years, and uh, I also see that a lot. That uh, some coaches get frustrated with, yeah, this guy is not talented. And, but I realize that some people, some moves are difficult for them, but other moves are easier. So you just have to. I don't know, work, work, try, experiment with people, and that's it. Uh, there are guys, of course, that are so talented. They see the move only once, and they start doing it immediately. And especially more advanced students. Uh, I, I see, you know, Vlad Genov, you know, him, he sees it only once, starts doing it immediately. Like, he's been doing it for years you know but this comes with more advanced students well he says he's the only one he do it that's that's definitely a visual warning type was yeah. before that. but the thing is i think that's why like as we talked before it's very important to have base so when you have a, a base or i mean like a, a base i mean like a overall game when you see something that adds to your game it just oh i can actually do that it just clicks but when you train yeah. like uh, random moves 
that has no connection between each other yeah, and then no and then it's hard because it's when you introduce something new it's just uh, it's just another piece of the puzzle that doesn't fit and it's like different picture then you ha have to warn all and the entry and the move and the finish by itself when you have developed games so that's why i'm, I'm um normally i try to teach people a basic game and then we we can dig in some more advanced stuff but you need to have the basic because when you see something that is like interesting and, and you and but it fits your game, it's just like a piece of puzzle. It just clicks there, and you already know how how of it at least how to get to this position, uh, how to make the entry, or at least uh, okay you don't know the entry but you know the finish, so the things click together. It's hard when you're training a random stuff. They might be all yeah. cool and might be all working, but if they don't have connection be between each other it's hard to remember that because our brain doesn't work this way you know you're, you're a mathematician and you know like you can add stuff when you have uh, something already developed so when you add stuff it, it makes sense but it just like random stuff drop around your brain cannot comprehend them you, you our brain doesn't work this way like our brain you know is lazy and works you know uh, you know to that's why we like system, we like charts, because they, they break down the information in a way that you can easily comprehend and remember, and it makes sense. When things are random and draw, draw like that, our brain doesn't make connection, it's too much energy for, for it to remember, so it just doesn't work. It's just like, okay, that, that's random, and it just, yeah, you can you can like the technique, you can remember it for a week, but if you ask two weeks uh, after a guy like that who trains, you know, like all this, Stuff. What he was doing two weeks ago, he cannot remember because that's information that uh, was just entertaining for the brain for a while, but because it doesn't connect with what, what he already knows, and that goes away too quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Makes sense a lot. You know, in my experience, uh, it has happened to me. Um, I see a move and I drill it for, for some time, but as you said, it's not connected with the other parts of my game. And maybe years go by, and I don't see any usage for that move in my game. But as my game develops more, and I remember the move, or I see it somewhere, I said, yeah, now I think I can use it. Uh, so it's... Very interesting, but that comes with a lot, of course, with time, with development, and uh, yeah, it happened you know, to that... me as the same. And I think that is like when you build your game that you actually have a bit of knowledge how to reach to that move, and then it actually clicks and say, Oh, that uh, and uh, that actually uh, I can use this now, I can see how, how to get this one because uh, some, sometimes I like you said, I, I see a move, say, Oh, that 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 doesn't work, you know, that's like. But years ago, when I started actually, you know, like playing a bit closer to that game, and that that moves actually clicks and say, oh, okay, that's how you you get into it. You just you just have to develop your game up to there. So you, I think with all this information, and if uh, somebody wants to get something from this conversation, is with all this information that you have, it's still it's very important you not know, to rush slowly, you know, to progress, to use the information, but slowly to add bit by bit, and then it works. At least that's how it works for me. Yeah, um, 
No, there was there is one guy from um, has a lot of DVDs. Uh, it's called he's called Tony Cecchini. Uh, some guys who some guy who says he's a he was taught by uh, one of the old school catch wrestlers from uh, no the beginning of the the twentieth century, like Dan Kolf, some of those old timers. So the guy the guy says he 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 was taught by him. So he in the late nineties he had a few DVDs like catch wrestling. I think it's called the art of catch wrestling or the art of hooking. No, it was called uh, wrestling. Catch wrestling was called also hooking. And catch wrestling is basically a similar style to grappling, but with pins on the ground. So and years ago I downloaded the DVDs, watched, and I said that's complete bullshit. Uh, some neck cranks that were very strange and I could never get to those positions in the first place to try them. And, and you know, when uh, years after that, as I became heavier, stronger, started getting into those positions, some of the moves I found that to some extent work. You know, uh, I found some usage in some of his uh, techniques. So you can never dismiss something and say it's a complete bullshit. Maybe if time goes by, you will see some uh, value in, in those moves. And also, you know, so many interesting grappling styles, but um, one of the catch wrestling I was studying, of course, uh, I found out that most of the techniques, uh, of course, they ha don't have a guard. On the ground, they don't play from the guard, which is like the foundation of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That's uh, what um, one of the, the most important aspect of Jiu-Jitsu, I think, is the guard. It's what uh, is the difference between Jiu-Jitsu and Judo, and uh, the, because they have such a strong emphasis on on the guard game. Because and most of well, the other because, are, because staying guard is actually a pin. And uh, yeah. Sambu also doesn't have like very developed guard game. They have some moves, but they don't really pay much attention to them because if you are in bottoming guard, you're actually in pin, you're losing. You're losing. So like you mostly, yeah, your emphasis is mostly not to get there. Standing up yeah. And towards the guy to be on top, not on the bottom. So in Jiu-Jitsu, this is the difference. Um, and all of the other grappling styles are... Uh, oriented towards being on top and dominating the guy and jiu-jitsu is like more passive and that's why it's been you know in grappling competition is the most the most successful stuff all, all almost all of the champions in adc have come from from bjj even though they train have in the beginning you know adc was only gi uh, the, the i mean the the guys came from the gi they hadn't trained uh, probably very little. They had trained very little Nogi, but still they managed to win most of the gold medals because it was the most, uh, the rules were very similar to BJJ, the ADC rules. And the other guys, for example, Sambo or Judo, they, they don't know how to, how to pass the guard. Yeah. Simply, simply they cannot do anything. The guy pulls guard, you don't know how to pass it. Maybe you survive, you don't get swept for a few minutes. He sweeps you past your guard and it's over. 
he finishes you or wins by points. So the the guard, I think, is the difference, uh, the tool that separates jujitsu. I'm not saying, of course, it's more effective, but for grappling, it's the most uh, effective, definitely the most effective uh, tool, jujitsu. You mentioned Ian Ogi. What's what's your uh, sorry for interrupting you? What's what's your uh, what's your view over Gi and Nogi? I know like he was doing mostly Nogi. Recently, you get in, back into the, the Gi game. I saw you more often like uh, doing Gi than, at least than before. So what's your view over like uh, Gi and Nogi grappling and uh, being successful in uh, Nogi grappling and training with Gi? How do you see that? Uh, of course, Gi is uh, very fun. It's uh, very big ocean of techniques uh, it's also you could say it's very similar but it's in the same way it's very difficult different than uh, no gi i think if you want to be a good no gi competitor uh, probably best to train no gi uh, mostly uh, i don't find uh, they say you know you become tighter when you train with the gi i don't find that to be the case. I think it's better to train if you want to be good nogi, to train nogi. Um, I just don't see, uh, makes no sense to me why it could be better to train gi for MMA and for nogi, to train with gi. Just makes no sense. Everything is, the grips are different, the chokes are different, uh, passing is different. You know, the finishing moves, armbar, uh, really naked choke guillotine are the same but also there are many variations um, for example the back with the gi is a much more powerful position than no gi no gi if you decide to survive from the back and you have a decent level it will be difficult to finish whereas in gi is uh, you know you have like at least 10 more chokes with the gi you know, Ezekiel, bow and arrow, you name it, many more. And no, I think it's, of course, uh, you have to have basic knowledge of gi. I realized that with time, it's very fun. Um, I think it's good to train both if you're involved in doing only, um, only grappling, if you're not doing too many styles like MMA, kickboxing, grappling. If you do only no gi, probably it won't hurt you to do a few times gi training, just to learn things. That's my opinion, basically. Uh, when when you prepare at the moment, uh, uh, so you mostly compete no gi. Uh, what time? What time you you? How much time you uh, you you do train with gi yourself? Uh, I train two or three times a week with the gi. Uh, we have classes three times a week. Me and Emil Kazakov are teaching the gi class. So, uh, of course, I have many holes in my gi game. Um, for the last two years, I've been filling one by one different areas of my game. But I think, you know, with time, I have a decent game with the gi. I implemented many moves, 
into my game that have been helping me, uh, of course. Uh, and I do every day no gi, uh, twice a day, because I have some days I have private classes. Some days I even train three times a day. Um, you know, it's not every session is like hard rolling and some sessions are only teaching and maybe one or two rolls. And the evening session is uh, in my club Pitbulls. So it's, uh, you know, it's a standard training, warm-up, uh, drilling a little bit, then studying a few techniques, a few situations. We usually do like uh, in the last two years I've been doing um, every day. Uh, the first roll starts from the back, uh, from back mount, because I found it to be a position that it's, you know, because when you warm up, then you do technique. Uh, the gym is a little more um, frisky, a little bit cold from the old communist buildings. And you, you know, you get uh, your body starts to get cold. So when you do the the first throw from the back, it's very difficult to injure yourself. You know, from the back, it's, uh, it's not, you cannot be very explosive, do explosive movements. And you actually, since I've been doing this, almost no injuries. We've had no injuries in the gym. And the guys for two years have been doing that. Now they have, um, I'm happy to say that they have good back defense. Like many good guys come to the gym, um, high level guys, and they all say that our guys have, uh, and, and it's not like I've been teaching so much back, just uh, you know, basic things. Uh, we've been developing a system um, for the last two years, uh, different uh, details I've, I got from different instructors and I combined them for, for the back mount. It's been working really well. And uh, yeah, basically that's my, my day. Sometimes I don't get to train in my gym. Uh, if everybody are in pairs, I'm not able to. Maybe if somebody gets tired, I go in for a few rolls. But that's it, I don't, I, you know, I train a decent amount. I'm happy with my preparation. It, of course, it, it could be better, but uh, I've also I have to go to work and I have a family and it's good. Speaking about that, uh, how is the best way for people to get in touch with you? I'm going to put links in the description, your Instagram, uh, uh, your team eventually. Yeah, my, uh, my Instagram is called uh, Popov Pitbulls, uh, but I'm mostly active in, on Facebook. Uh, Christian Popov is my Facebook. Uh, also, our club is Pitbulls uh, Freestyle Fighting. It's located in Sofia, in the Nadezhda area, Lokomotiv Stadium. We have training every day at 7.30. Uh, no gi. We have uh, also kickboxing. We have a very good coach three times a week at 6.15 uh, p.m. And we have BJJ training three times a week as well. Gi training, it's uh, Tuesday, Thursday at 6 and Saturday at 4 p.m. Probably we're planning to start uh, 
children's kids class but probably in the spring i'm still looking for an instructor because of course i cannot uh, take all the classes but the club is developing well we're happy we're like a family of course uh, your team uh, some of your guys are training with us uh, we have the two teams uh, have had a close uh, relationship a bond so to say so things have been there very special part of of our team now as well yeah so and please uh, say say hi to emil from me same in my regards and uh, to wrap this uh, this up uh, uh, what is worth fighting for from your perspective well, I think it's uh, worth fighting for improvement, in my opinion, not only as a fighter, but as a person fighting every day. You know, it's, uh, people have repeated that many times, but I think it's uh, fighting to be a better person every day, to learn more, uh, be friendly, help people, uh, not be egoistical. Uh, not be selfish. I think it's a very important thing. People, you know, people are very egocentrical. I find that many people, you know, they accumulate accumulate uh, uh, thoughts and feelings, uh, emotions during the day, and they come and they start talking only, you know. But it's part of the probably learn to be for the people to through the sport to be less less selfish and help people and improve their own their own self what's what's coming next to you do you prepare for anything at the moment um yes i i fought naga two weeks ago i got a little bit injured um, my foot i didn't i didn't tap to a very powerful leg lock uh, now i'm getting better i started rolling today with daniel because he came to visit me and I'm injured, of course, but it's been good, my foot. And probably fight, I will fight in real grappling challenge. It's a big event we have every year in December. Uh, but I'm not sure yet. Um, probably I will let some of the new guys uh, compete to gain experience. I think it's also very important not to fight everywhere, always try to, to win everywhere. Probably let some new guys uh, get their chance. And uh, yeah, that's it for now. And mostly help my students. Tomorrow they have a competition in Sofia. Uh, it's the Nogi Sofia Open. And let's see how it goes. That's my most uh, recent plans. We'll see. Thank you for that, brother. Uh, say hi to Daniel from me. Maybe, maybe if he has time, one day I might catch him on, on the podcast as well. And I'll try to yeah. process this one and to, you know, to put it like in the in the following days because I fight tonight for Sydney. Actually, like I have to go to uh, to wait my guy now. I told you. He, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. It's a very enlightening for me as well. I learned many interesting. You're a very oh, interesting guy. It's always it's very good to talk with you and Emil. We we great friends with with Emil and you know, like uh, you know. And I, we lost a lot that you're not here with uh, in Bulgaria teaching, but uh, hopefully you come back, continue your team and uh, 
things you were doing here is very helpful for the sport but I'm trying to help. I'm always trying to be supportive. Uh, I'm still working for this uh, private class that last time we missed to do, to train together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to do that this time. And uh, who, uh, who knows? I'm looking maybe if we develop a bit more and we can able to afford to to have it here for, for a seminar. That would be awesome. Your game is very interesting. And uh, now yeah. the Australian grappling is rising towards the Lego game award. So I think it will be, we'll have yeah. like, uh, quite a good interest. So. I um, have this in mind uh, somewhere in the back of my head, eventually, you know, for eventually somewhere next year. But yeah, we we, we talk again about that. So we will go to have the Mr. Hugh Hook here in Australia for a while. Yeah, it would be nice. I've never been in that part of the world. And um, well, thank you very much for having me, man. It's that Thanks, brother. It was was pleasure to have have chat with you. Uh, I'm going you know, to 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 change to chase my stuff for the day. And uh, good night for to you and your family. Okay. Thank you, man. You later, Thank brother. you for the session. Bye, bye, bye. Thank you for listening to the Faisal podcast. Subscribe in your podcast app to receive the next episode where I talk with the president of IMMF of Australia about what was achieved for amateur MMA down under and about the exciting things to come during the new 2020 year. Merry Christmas. This episode is brought to you by Tambourine Spring Wallet. Visit tambourinesprings.com.au or call 0434-952-449 to order your water today. Tambourine Spring Water is a local business situated on Mount Tambourine. Their water is bottled at the source on their 163 meter deep privately owned spring. The spring provides access to a free-flowing underground stream which is where their premium quality spring water comes from. It then goes through a very strict sediment and UV filtration process to ensure the final product remains both consistent and of brightest quality. It is then bottled and stored until it leaves for the client's home or office. Most water companies in Australia all cut their water from a contractor before being processed and then bottled, which leaves lots of room for contamination and foreign bodies entering the water. And tampering springs, it's a matter of minutes from when the water is extracted from the spring into a bottle, which is then sealed and stored into a cool dark environment. The spring water is naturally bacteria-free and passes all quality tests prior to filtration. Despite that, Tambourine Springs water have one of the strictest filtration systems so there is no room for error when it comes to your drinking water. They do not add any chemicals whatsoever to the drinking water, the only thing the filters are doing is removing sand and sediments that comes naturally with the water. The three-stage system is there to ensure no bacteria have found its way into the water. When you purchase your water from Tambourine Spring Water, you know you will receive the best spring water Southeast Queensland has to offer from a local family on a mission to provide the best service and quality. Water companies are often blamed with a good reason for polluting the environment with plastic bottles. This is not the case with Tambourine Spring Water. Your water is delivered to your door in 50 or 20 liter bottles and your used bottles are collected, disinfected and refilled again. So zero plastic waste goes into the environment. Me and my family are also using Tambourine Springs water way before they decided to sponsor this podcast. By experience, once you drink real spring water for a while, you cannot drink from the sink anymore or any commercial waters on the supermarket because it smells bad and has a bad taste. 
Ridiculously enough, in Australia you can mix 50% of the water with tap water and label and sell it to spring water. This is not the case with Tambourine Springs water. I personally know the family who owns it and I have been numerous times in their small factory to see my water being bottled straight from the spring after the filtration process. Majority of my team also purchased their drinking water from Tambourine Springs water. Find out more at tambourinesprings.com.au or call 0434-952-449 to order your water today.